Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Bill Landis with your day two coverage from the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Uh, it is uh, Wednesday night. The game is Friday night. I am sitting in the hotel room, and Bill Landis is on the phone because Bill Landis was out gallivanting through the wide-open spaces of Texas today. Bill, tell the people where you were. Uh, I went down to Austin, Texas to have uh, lunch with Matt Baldwin, Ohio State's newest quarterback commit. And then from there, I went to LaGrange, which is J.K. Dobbins' hometown. Spent some time at his high school with his uh, high school coach, Matt Cates. And now I am driving back up north to Dallas. Uh, I actually just drove past, like two minutes ago, I just drove past Baylor's football stadium, which is like right next to the highway. I didn't realize that. I knew they built a new one, like along the river. But it's you could if you're standing on the highway, you can throw a rock at the stadium. I didn't, it's that close to it. Uh, was Art Bryles like wandering uh, along the shoulder of the highway picking up trash? No, he's in uh, someplace uh, warmer where there are demons. Um, all right, so important question. We'll, we'll get to uh, your conversation with Matt Baldwin, who is Ohio State's quarterback signee in the 2018 class. We'll talk a little bit about LaGrange. We'll talk about Sam Darnold, the USC quarterback that I talked to today. Um, back here in Dallas as we talk to USC offensive players and Ohio State defensive players today. And then we have some more questions from you guys. We'll try to go about half an hour. Um, Matt Baldwin, before we get to him, let me ask the most important question. Where did you eat with him? We ate at a place called Torchy's Tacos, which is, uh, from what Matt told me, it's a it's a central Texas chain. I don't, I don't know if it's outside of Texas, but he said it's, it's, it's central Texas. Um, I think there are actually one or two around Dallas, and it's just like um, I'm trying to think. It's not like a it's not like a Chipotle style where you like walk through and pick your ingredients. They have like a set menu of tacos, um, like a couple of chicken, a couple of beef, a couple of fish, um, a couple of vegetarian. There's probably like twelve to choose from, um, and I think it's a big deal. Like if I'm not mistaken, I think Tom Herman like might have mentioned Torchy's Tacos during his introductory press conference at the University of Texas. Like it's that big of a deal. Really. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was good. It was really good. It definitely, I, I, people listening maybe have heard of it before, and I know we have some listeners in Texas. Um, I had heard of it and was excited to try it, and it lived up to the billing. Who ate more tacos, you or the teenage quarterback? The teenage quarterback. Uh, uh, he ate, I think he ate three or four, and he had chips and queso. I only had two because I was trying to be modest in front of a stranger, but I could have sat there and had 12. 
did it, um, did, as he ate, you can learn a lot about a person by watching him eat. The way he ate, did he eat like a future starting quarterback at Ohio State? Yeah, he ate confidently, yes. Yeah. Did he have the... He ate ate like a man who uh, can pick you up four yards on third and five. I appreciate Third and three. Third and three. Now all I want to do in life is go eat tacos with uh, JT Barrett, and JT Barrett would never eat tacos with us in a million years. No, never. JT, let's go to Torchy's the day after the Cotton Bowl. See how that goes. He would throw a taco in our face. Um, All right, so... The reason Matt Baldwin is important, and we talked about this in the podcast yesterday, is because he might be Ohio State's number three quarterback in 2018 if Joe Burrow transfers, as uh, it certainly seems like he could. From what you talked about with Matt Baldwin, with the knee injury he suffered in the playoffs uh, a couple days before Christmas in the his last high school football game, do you think he'll be healthy enough to be the number three quarterback, probably redshirting, but be ready to play if needed in 2018? Or is this the kind of injury that maybe could linger, do you think? It's, it's hard to say. Like he, I don't know if I totally believe this, but he said he doesn't yet know the extent of his knee injury because he hasn't had it looked at. Like He's, got, he's gotten treatment, obviously. Um, that was my GPS. Um, so... His, he was walking with a pretty noticeable limp. Like he didn't have crutches, he didn't have a brace or anything like that. Um, but he doesn't know the extent of his injury. So, and he wants when he gets to Ohio State next week, they're going to look at it and decide whether or not he needs surgery. Um, I asked him, like, do you think you'll need surgery? Like trying to get a gauge of like where he was, and he wasn't super optimistic. I, I think in the back of his head, he thinks it might require surgery, which would certainly leave him out of the spring. Um, if it's not an ACL, then maybe he'll be back in time for summer camp. But um, I would not anticipate maybe seeing Matt Baldwin in the spring. And then if it turns out it's something more serious, then, yeah, if it's, if it's an ACL recovery, then he probably wouldn't be ready in time for the, for the fall. Um, you maybe can just lead us through some of the highlights of your conversation with him. And, and, again, if you guys haven't read it yet, Bill has a story up at Cleveland.com that he posted on Wednesday about the knee injury, some of the things he just talked about. Um, and he's going to have some more um, coming from his conversation with Matt Baldwin. But did you guys talk? Did the name Emery Jones come up at all during your conversation? It did. And I'm trying to think. He, I think he brought the name up first because one of the things I was trying to nail down was sort of the timetable of all this because it felt, from my perspective, and I think from, from really anyone on the outside's perspective, it felt very rushed. Um, in terms of the time from when from visit to offer to commitment to signing, I think was about a month. Um, but it wasn't quite that rushed. He had been first contacted by Ohio State, I, I think he said after three or four games, so about October, maybe late September. Um, but he was aware of the situation even when Ohio State rec- first offered him. Emory Jones was still in the class. Um, Matt Baldwin's initial intention was to come to Ohio State to be the second quarterback in the class and compete with Emory Jones at the start to, to be the third or fourth guy and then set themselves up for, for some kind of position battle down the road, and he was okay with that. Um, he said that he thinks Emory Jones is going to be a good quarterback in Florida, um, but I think the most interesting thing that we talked about in relation to Emory Jones 
And this is going to be a major crux of the story that I'm going to write, but I, I have no problem giving it away, I guess, on the podcast. That's what you people get for listening to this that, podcast. You get, right, the, right. you get the juice early, baby. So there, there's this idea, I think, that like Matt Baldwin is Stephen Collier. And it's not to take a shot at Stephen Collier, but we know what the deal was with him. They, they took a, a good run at Deshaun Watson, were left without a quarterback, and had to take somebody. And they took a kid who was pretty obvious was never going to play at Ohio State, and then he never played at Ohio State. And I think when Matt Baldwin committed, people thought that that's who he was. Now, he obviously doesn't think that's who he was, who he is, and Ohio State would never say that, even if that was the plan. Um, but he is aware of that conversation, is aware of the idea that people are going to compare him, probably for his entire career, to Emory Jones. And the one... I thought telling quote that was a very strong quote that he had was that he said, Emory Jones did not play at the level of high school football that I played at and did not put up the numbers that I put up. And he is super confident in his own abilities, which is not surprising, but he was like very emphatic. Like I am just as good as Emory Jones. I just didn't have as much time to show it. Interesting. Cause Stephen Collier is a good example. Another guy who at least in my time on the beat was a late, late quarterback ad was Kenny Guyton from the state of Texas, who was an absolute desperation move. Uh, Ohio state had an assistant, John Peterson, who was in the Houston area. Ohio state needed a quarterback. This was a couple days, I think before signing day, whatever year it was. And I think literally they would have taken whatever quarterback from whatever area one of their assistants was in at that moment. And they happened to have a guy in Houston and they got Kenny Guyton and we know what Kenny Guyton became. And Kenny Guyton was a very lowly recruited guy um, who, who in the end, his other offers were not very good, but he turned out very capable of handling uh, the duties at Ohio state that were required of him, which were to be a really strong backup quarterback and start several games when needed. So, um, there's some history there of guys who nothing was expected of and they never did anything. And then there's a guy who nothing was expected of and he absolutely did something. So the other name I'm curious about, Bill, is did the name Baker Mayfield come up in your conversation? It did, yeah. And I, I asked him specifically if he had any relationship with Baker Mayfield because Baker is um, part of this, like, it's kind of like an assembly line of quarterbacks they have at Lake Travis High School. Um, that I, I believe, like it started with Garrett Gilbert, who played at Texas, went to Lake Travis. Baker Mayfield went to Lake Travis. Um, Charlie Brewer, who was co Big Twelve Freshman of the Year this year at Baylor, went there. As did his brother Michael Brewer, who was the quarterback of Virginia Tech a few years ago when they beat Ohio State. Um, so we talked about all of that, and within that, Baker Mayfield came up. I, I asked him if he had a close personal relationship. He said not really. He said they've met before, uh, but he did like. I think that they, they carry the same kind of, um, I don't know, I hate saying chip on the shoulder because it's so cliche, but like Baker Mayfield was very lightly recruited and had to start his career as a walk-on. Matt Baldwin was very lightly recruited until Ohio State came along, and I think he feels, in, in some ways, they're kind of kindred spirits, not just because they went to the same high school, but because they're both good quarterbacks who were not treated as such in the recruiting process. Did you ask Matthew Baldwin if he's ever grabbed his crotch at the opposing team? I did team? not. I thought that was, would have been inappropriate uh, lunch discussion. Yeah, that's like second taco date 
kind of discussion. Yeah. You know, yeah. not first yeah. taco date. Right. Uh, um, okay, let's talk a little bit about J.K. Dobbins and your trip to Lagrange. Uh, you met up with J.K. Dobbins' high school coach, who was a very helpful guy. I talked to him uh, in August about J.K. Dobbins when he clearly had some idea that J.K. Dobbins was going to do what he did. He kind of hinted and knew about maybe Mike Weber's uh, injury status before most of the rest of us did and had an idea that J.K. was going to burst on the scene. So what was it like in LaGrange, and, and did you feel like you got a better sense of J.K. Dobbins? I, yeah, I did. It, I, first off, uh, LaGrange wasn't quite what I expected it to be. It's a very small town. I think its population is about four to 5,000. But when I, I spoke with J.K. Uh, when we had interviews, like our last interviews on campus before the, the they left for the Cotton Bowl, and I said, J.K., I'm going to LaGrange. And he was like, why? There's nothing there. Um, and, and he undersold it a little bit. It, it is a small town, but it's, it's got like um, it's got a very old feeling downtown area that's kind of like trapped in time a little bit. But they've all been like refurbished into like these like locally owned like boutique shops. And it's kind of a the way it was described to me is that part, at least part of Lagrange is where more wealthier people from Houston and Austin like have weekend homes in Lagrange and like go to the country club, club at Lagrange. So it's not it's not super small town Texas, but it's still pretty small. And it's definitely still the kind of place where the high school football team is the biggest show in town. And for three years, the biggest show in town was headlined by J.K. Dobbins. And it would have been for four years had he not broken his leg uh, in, in this first game of his senior year of high school. Um, another thing I found out about it. So I, I can't remember if you wrote this, Doug, when you wrote about J.K. But so he broke his leg in his first game of, of the year. That game lasted six minutes because there was a lightning delay. So his high school, LaGrange High School, played six minutes of football time and lost its best player for the year. Wow. Yeah. That's some bad luck, man. Yeah. Um, so, okay. but he's like, yeah, he's a he's a celebrity. He's a celebrity where he came from, and it's a, it's a celebrity on a much smaller scale. But the way it was described to me, it's, it's very much the, the kind of an almost stereotypical Texas town where star running back, you know, has to walk around and kind of shake hands and kiss babies and stuff because because you're the most important person in that town. I think we talked about this in the podcast yesterday, and I wrote about it in uh, Ohio State Nuggets that I put up on Wednesday, just how everything sort of came together that um, Charlie Strong was getting fired at Texas and he had no interest in Texas A&M and he didn't think that TCU would run the ball enough and Baylor had the scandal. And it was like, here you had... Uh, J.K. Dobbins, who was, I think, the sixth, number six-rated player in Texas um, in his recruiting class, and, and he didn't feel like there was a match for him in his home state. When you're in that town, was there any moment to you of, like, how did Ohio State get a kid out of this town? That, like, why isn't this kid playing in this huge football state here in Texas? Did you get that vibe at all? For sure, it's not, it's not very far from Austin. It's probably sixty miles or so from Austin. Um, his like in his coach's office, there was a a, a text like a large Texas drinking cup, like you get from a Texas football game. Um, I stopped at a gas station just outside of town before I went to the high school, and there was Texas stuff all over the place. Um, so yeah, I, it was it was frankly surprising that anyone would go there because it is it is kind of it's not totally secluded, but it is in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, and his coach admitted as much that it is sometimes hard to get guys on the radar. Most of their best players just get a handful of offers. And some are Division One, but very rarely are they from out of state. Um, and J.K., I think, did a little bit of the camp circuit and had some really, really good freshman and sophomore highlight tapes that I think went a little bit viral, and that helped them get on the radar programs like Ohio State and Alabama. Um, but it is it is astonishing if, if you ever go there. It is like it's 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 pretty secluded, and and the the, the idea that Tony Alford found this kid in in Lagrange, Texas, and he's going to be Ohio State's star running back for the next two to three years is, is pretty astonishing. Um, and one other thing, just because you mentioned you mentioned Charlie Strong, um, so Tom Herman got hired. Uh, I guess in that December of, of J.K.'s senior year of high school. And Matt Cage, J.K.'s high school coach, told me that the day after Tom Herman signed his contract with Texas, Tom Herman was at LaGrange sitting in Matt Cage's office trying to figure out why J.K. Dobbins was going to Ohio State. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's it's such an indictment of and, – and we, this, we, we sort of went through this when we did the series, I guess, two years ago about – how Ohio State's the most indestructible program in the country. I mean, this is Texas. This is Texas football that J.K. Dobbins, when I was talking to him, said he grew up rooting for Texas and Ohio State. Texas was the home state team. That was his team, but he did like watching Ohio State on TV. But when you are Texas and you have that kid 60 miles from campus and you can't get him, you're broken. And that's yeah. how broken Texas football was. Think about if Ohio State football was that broken. You know, that you're to that point where you can't get the kid who's in Dayton. Or you can't get the kid who's in, you know, Mansfield or whatever. That A kid who's, who's an hour from campus and decides to go to a whole different part of the country because your program is such a cluster... He feels like he can't go there, and that's where Texas was. And I think I'm a little surprised. I think, I mean, Ohio State just obviously did a good job. I'm a little surprised that Herman couldn't flip him. Well, I think it was J.K. was an early enrollee, and that that had to have been sometime. And I don't even I don't remember the exact timeline of when Tom Herman got hired, um, but it, it must have been only a matter of weeks. It might have even been days before J.K. was leaving for Columbus. So maybe, I mean, under different circumstances, if J.K. wasn't enrolling early, maybe he could have. Um, but it was by that point, it was just too late. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about my day a little bit. Thanks for asking about my day, Bill. Yeah. Was it good? It was okay. They, yeah. had, uh, I had, they had fajitas in the media room for lunch. Ooh. So they weren't torchy tacos, but, uh, but they were pretty good. No, they good. weren't. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, so Sam Darnold was the star here uh, on Wednesday, and so uh, I asked him a bunch of questions about the NFL and the Browns and that kind of thing, and then a lot of the conversation and talking to the Ohio State defenders um, was, was just talking about what you're going to do with Sam Darnold. Um, Greg Schiano said this is the best skill Ohio State's faced, and we know Ronald Jones, the tailback for USC, is a first-team All-Pac-12 guy. He's really good. Um, I don't know that their receivers pop quite uh, as, as much, but I think when you look at Oklahoma, um, you know, they had a great tight end in Mark Andrews who got hurt in that game, but, but that's a lot of Baker Mayfield doing Baker Mayfield things at Oklahoma. So Greg Schiano said USC is the best skill they have, 
and I did a quick video on my own, Bill. I did a video by myself. I was very lonely. Um, did you argue with yourself? No, I stood in front of the fake white deer that are in the lobby. Did you see the fake oh, white deer? I did, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird, kind of disconcerting, actually. Um, <laughs> and so I did a video about like the Ohio State needing to get after Sam Darnold, but one of the first things Greg Schiano said today when, when talking about Darnold is, the idea that I think people know that Baker Mayfield is mobile and that he's a guy who can move around and, and make throws on the run. And he said, and this was Shiano sort of going here on his own. I will say this about Greg Shiano. Greg Shiano is really good about talking about NFL quality opponents. You know what I mean, Bill? Like he is yeah. because he has that NFL experience, because he's been a head coach. He, I thought that Greg Schiano might be a little bit grumpy when he got here, but like he is very willing to talk football in a very detailed way. And so I thought he was really good last year, like explaining how and why Deshaun Watson is good. He's good explaining why Baker Mayfield is good. And so he was good at explaining why Sam Darnold is good. And he was saying that Darnold is like Mayfield and that he can move away from pressure and make throws on the run. And he said, you know, like he's not a runner, but he can move and he thinks maybe people don't think that about Darnold. They think he's a pocket passer. And then T. Martin, the USC offensive coordinator, was saying a lot of the same stuff. T. Martin said I, he could run. He said, I could use him as a runner the way Ohio State uses J.T. Barrett, but I don't want to. I don't want to put those extra hits on him. Um, so that's just something I think that Ohio State has to be concerned about because I think that was something going into the Oklahoma game of, you know, you you might get pressure on that guy, but just because you get pressure doesn't mean he's not going to make a play. Oklahoma's offensive line is better than USC's offensive line. But I just feel like, once again, we're going to see plays in the Cotton Bowl like we did against Oklahoma where there are Ohio State defenders chasing the quarterback but the quarterback's still going to make plays. Do you think that's a legit concern in this game for Ohio State? Yeah, that was that was my probably biggest concern for Ohio State coming into this game. And it's kind of strange. Like There have been times in the past with this defense, Ohio State's defense, where teams have thrown like change of pace running quarterbacks at them. But those were those were true runners. Those weren't guys you were ever scared of, you know, scrambling around and then stopping before they cross the line of scrimmage and throwing a ball over your head like Xander Diamond. Or was it Peyton? Or not? Yeah, Peyton Hill or Perry Hillis, whatever his name was from Maryland. Um, those guys weren't going to beat you with their arms ever. So, like, there was a little bit of kryptonite going on there with quarterbacks who could move. I think just because they were a change of pace. But the idea of a guy, and I think there are really only a handful of them in college football who do it that way, that can that can create and and still have the arm strength to beat you down the field. Have, have shown to be major problems for Ohio State's defense, and they're problems for everybody's defense, obviously. That's why they're going to be NFL, high NFL round, high round NFL draft picks. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not sleeping very easy if I'm Ohio State's defense or if I'm an Ohio State fan knowing that this is what they're facing because this is the one thing I think they've yet to prove they can stop is this type of quarterback. You know, the, the USC guys were talking about this today, and I just figured this out in my head now. And I didn't think about it when I was asking questions about it. But I, I talked to a bunch of different USC guys. I had a good conversation with one of their uh, offensive linemen, Toe Labadon. Toa Labadon, I think is his name. He was good. Um, but here's the point I want to make. Th- there are two games, the two losses on USC's schedule 
the USC guys sort of explain as we just sucked that day. They lost to Washington State on Sam Darnold's worst day. I think he only threw for like 168 yards in that game. And then against Notre Dame, they got run over. Their defense got run over by Notre Dame. They're, they had like 190 yards from their tailback, and Brandon Wimbush, their quarterback, ran for 100 yards as well. And Notre Dame just slaughtered them. And the USC guys and talking about them just sort of, when, when we talked to the uh, defensive guys, Yesterday, they just said Notre Dame was a bad day. And when we talked to the offensive guys today, it was sort of like, yeah, you know, I was asking about what it's like when the run game and the pass game are working for them. And they were like, yeah, when it's working, it's really good. And then when it's not working, it's like Washington State. But that's Ohio State. Yeah. Like if, 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 if L.A. reporters were trying to ask Ohio State players about, like, what the hell happened against Iowa, they would just explain it as we had an awful day. And then again, the 15-point loss to Oklahoma, you mostly explain that with Baker Mayfield. But this, these are two teams that have some really good wins. You know, th- this is a USC team that beat Stanford twice. They struggled a little bit early in the year. They had the, you know, the Texas game could have been a loss. They struggled with Western Michigan early. But these are good teams that are capable of laying an egg. They've both laid multiple eggs this season. And I, it, you don't find that's why they're not in the playoff. Um, they're conference champs who aren't in the playoff because they laid too many eggs. And and I just am now have in the last five minutes become fascinated with the idea of what if somebody lays an egg in the Cotton Bowl? You know, like I think people are anticipating this is going to be a really good game, but both these teams have had game days where they've just stunk it up. What if they both lay an egg? Like if we get like a ten six game, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like six three. Yeah, like this. I don't know. We think this is the next no, best bowl situation. But Sean Nurberger better be on alert. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I yeah, I think these these teams are more alike than we realized when the when the matchup first came out. I still think Ohio State is probably more talented, but and, but USC is not far off, and I don't know. I don't know what makes a team more susceptible to laying an egg than not, and it's weird that it would happen with an Ohio State team that has so many fifth-year seniors. Um, but yeah, that, that the the combination of you're playing a good team, you've shown you're capable of stinking it up. This game ultimately doesn't mean anything. I, I think does not add up to great things for Ohio State. It's just whether or not you trust that they've put all that behind them. Um, And what was USC's last egg? That was a Washington State game, right? Or was it was Notre Dame after that? I think Notre Dame was after that. I can check. But yeah, their leg, their eggs, I think, are less recent than uh, Ohio State's Iowa egg. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. I can't find the schedule. The books they they both did bowl guides, but Ohio State did like the ring binding which is a really good move for the guide because it's a smooth transition for turning pages. And um, USC did the normal, just like, you know, normal like a, like a magazine binding. And it's much harder to page through, and now I can't find their schedule. So I'm blaming USC for me not knowing when they played Notre Dame because they don't have the ring binding on their, uh, their postseason media guide. Oh, well. Hey, let's do some questions. Doesn't matter. This is a really good question. We, we have some, um, some loyal readers with multiple questions. Kyle Brandenburg, at 
Mad Cow Design brought it with a couple questions, but I thought this one was really good. And it reminded me of what we did a couple years ago, talking about the 2015 Buckeyes and who the best pro was going to be. And I, everybody, it didn't take a genius for anyone to figure out that Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott were really good players who were going to be really good pros. But I know that you and I and Ari were all very high on Michael Thomas, who went in the second round of that draft, the middle of the second round, and now has, in his first two NFL seasons, has 90 catches in each of his first two NFL seasons and looks like an absolute superstar. Not future superstar, superstar right now in the NFL. Of course, it helps when Drew Brees is your quarterback. But this is the question from Kyle Brandenburg. In five years, who is the most successful Buckeye off this year's team in the NFL? Oh, in five years? I mean, I guess and that, the thing that's interesting about that is in five years, Dwayne Haskins will be in the NFL, J.K. Yeah, Dobbins will be in the NFL, Nick Bosa, Chase Young. Chase Young, yeah. Like, this is a good, a good NFL draft class right now, but I think the, the potentially the best NFL players on this team are guys who are also going to be on the team next year. Yeah, I, 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 I think like Nick Bosa is probably the easiest answer. But I, I don't know. I, I've been ever since Jalen Holmes said that he thinks Chase Young is going to be the number one overall pick. I've been like fascinated with that idea. So I'm going to say Chase Young. Like if Chase Young is like Jadavian Clowney, and we just don't know it yet, um, I think that's possible. So I, I'll say Chase Young will be the best pro off this roster in five years. I guess that would make him like a second year player. But uh, I think by then we would know whether or not he's, he's a legit pro. So I'll say Chase Young. Um, I'm going to say, and, and I've been pounding this a couple times, I mean, I just think Billy Price is going to be the best center in the NFL. So whatever that is, what you know, that's, that's not as high profile. But, but I think five years from now, I think Billy Price will be the best center in the NFL. So whatever that means, like again, I I think Billy Price could be the Joe Thomas of centers. So um, I'll say Billy Price. I think again, Nick Bose is a good answer. Um, I'm super fascinated by Haskins and Dobbins as NFL guys. Um, and and again, there's stuff. There's guys like like Baron Browning. You know, like Greg Schiano was talking today that that Baron Browning at linebacker has had a really good ball practice. Who knows what he's going to be? Maybe he's, you know. Ryan Shazier, I don't know. So, um, but but it is. I think that they're going to be some. There's they're going to have a good draft class this year with Sam Hubbard and Billy Price and Tyquan Lewis and Jerome Baker and Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward on that list too, I think, could be a guy. But but there's yeah. a lot of future pros in this freshman class and sophomore class that I think are going to be playing football for a long time. That was a good question. I, I said that. I responded to Kyle Brandenburg and said, man, that is a great question. Um, all right. Oh, this is a good one. This is from at Chapel Austin. S-H-A-P-P-E-L-L-A-U-S-T-I-N. This might be – maybe this is a Texas person. Let me look. Or maybe his name is just Austin. Uh, no, it looks like his name is just Austin. Okay, he wanted to know um, what is up with – the, he said the announcers, um, while watching the Texas State Championship, the announcer said something about the Allen High School quarterback being interested in Ohio State. Is Grant Tisdale the main quarterback target 
for the class of 2019. Now that we have Matthew Baldwin in here, um, it, it's time for everyone to start thinking about 2019 quarterbacks, and they're going to need a big-time 2019 quarterback. Is this the guy, Bill? Yeah, I think he's the guy. They have, uh, off the top of my head, I want to say they have like five or six offers out to guys. I think one or two of those players might already be committed. Um, but Grant Tisdale, the quarterback at Allen High School, which is just outside of Dallas, um, is definitely their, their top target at the position. And I don't even know how hard they're even recruiting other players. I, I don't think really at all. I think they've kind of tried to go all in on Grant Tisdale, um, who is very different from Matt Baldwin. He's he's much more of a runner than he is a thrower. It doesn't mean he's, he can't throw, but it's weird. Like they're, they're in this weird like going back and forth between runner and thrower, runner and thrower with their quarterback prospects and, and – Grant Tisdale, if he is the guy in 2019, would kind of would, would bring it back more toward the, the runner of Tate Martell and and um, and JT Barrett. Um, but yeah, I think Tisdale is a name to keep in mind. He also has a teammate named Theo Weiss, who's a five-star receiver in 2019, who is also a high-priority target of Ohio State's. Um, so yeah, there's there's two guys at Allen High School that Ohio State is very interested in, and Grant Tisdale is number one on the quarterback board for 2019. Do you know if Texas is interested in him? Like, again, we talked about this yesterday with Georgia is good. Georgia's starting to keep Georgia kids. Texas is getting it going again in recruiting. Texas is starting to keep the best Texas kids. Are they going to be able to pull Tisdale and his receiver out of Texas on Tom Herman's watch? I don't I don't know. It's going to be hard. I don't, I don't know what I, – I, I have to imagine that Texas is everything. He's one of the best players in the country. Um, I don't know what, what Tom Herman's doing quarterback-wise in 2019, but I think it's going to be very difficult to pull anyone as good as Theo Weiss out of Texas again. Um, but Tisdale, I think they've done a lot of early work with him. He's, I believe he visited um, in the summer. I think he went, he went there for Friday Night Lights. He was there at some point in the summer. So they've done a lot of early work on Grant Tisdale. So I think it's just what you have to do with quarterbacks, especially ones out of state. Um, but recruiting Texas in general is going to be more difficult. That's just like that's that's life, new life in Texas with Tom Herman and Austin. Right. All right, we'll run through a couple more here. At Nikki Unders, anyone that the coaches slash players are saying has looked great that could springboard them for next spring? This is in bowl prep. And this is – I don't think we talked about Thayer Munford a ton yesterday. Thayer Munford has been a bowl prep revelation, man. Yeah. I mean, like, this is – this I, – I don't know. Like, I, maybe the last guy – and I think you, you mentioned this, that, like, people were going nuts for Dwayne Haskins at bowl prep a year ago. This kid's the backup right tackle. He's the second-string right tackle as a true freshman, played briefly in the Michigan game, and everybody is talking about him. Offense, defense, both sides of the ball – Whatever Thayer Munford is doing in bowl practice, everyone is noticing. And all of a sudden, Thayer Munford has to be on your radar as like a big-time tackle who could be a multi-year starter at Ohio State, and he was one of the last additions in the 2017 recruiting class. Yeah, I mean, he's a name to certainly have in mind. For, there's going to be at least one open tackle spot next year, and it is, it's just – you, you and I talked about it earlier today, it's, and we've talked about it before, I think. I don't know if we've done it on here, but it, it's so weird that he's the guy. Of the three they brought in, he's the guy, best position to be a starter next year. Um, I think he has a legitimate shot at it. There's there's like multi-positional guys. Um, Brandon Bowen can play tackle and guard. Malcolm Pridgen can play tackle and guard. But um, they weren't the 
one threw one in and Brandon Bowen was hurt, but but when Ohio State needed a right tackle for a snap in a pivotal moment against Michigan, they put in Thayer Munford and then they ran behind him and scored a touchdown. So they, they think very highly of him. So he's I wasn't expecting to come here to the Cotton Bowl and like try to gather some intel on the young guys who are playing and like have Thayer Munford be the one who emerged from the group. Um, I was thinking Tate Martell because I want everything to be about Tate Martell. <laughs> but um, yeah, Thayer Munford is, is a dude, is, apparently. And I don't like, he's got, if you ever see him, he's six foot six, he's 325 pounds, and he's really long, and he's pretty athletic, and he looks like a prototypical tackle. It's just that we didn't, ex- I, I, I know I didn't expect this so soon from a kid who was literally the last guy in Ohio State's 2017 recruiting class. And, it's, and you know, when coaches and players talk about a f- true freshman the way people have talked about Thayer Munford, you know, in addition to the physical gifts, a, he's busting his butt, because that's the number one thing that gets you noticed, is when you go hard. When you come in in year one, and you are not afraid to go hard. And the other thing is, this guy's got to be smart, because he is, he is doing things right in practice, and picking things up quickly at a time when it is very normal for first-year offensive linemen to be focused on building up their bodies and not much else. And Thayer Munford has done much more than that so far. Uh, a couple more quick ones. Our man Chad M at Sneela 187. This is for you, Landis. What happened to House Martell? Our early season attempt to do a Tate Martell video every week. We thought we were going to make it, and then we did a video about his dog. Yeah, we we jumped the shark. We we, we jumped jump, it we early. Jumped the dog. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, that's what happens when. You're trying to pump out content about the fourth-string quarterback. Um, you run out of ideas kind of quickly. And we actually had, I thought, some legitimate ones early on. Um, but then we went from legitimate to what kind of dog should he get rather quickly, and that was the end of it. Um, and even he, he he tweeted out the thing that said, is this serious, with a bunch of crying emojis. And I, at least I, I was worried about getting on Tate Martell's bad side. Because uh, I want him to be the starter, and then I want him to say crazy things. So I don't want I don't want him to be mad at us. I want someday for you to eat tacos with Tate Martell. That'd be great. That could be, be a tradition. I, yeah. That could be that's a new thing for it's a rite of passage for every Ohio State quarterback to eat tacos with Bill Landis. Let's work on it. Yeah, that. it's like Urban Meyer has to see you throw, and then you have to come have tacos with me. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> all right. Uh, quick food one. David Blumberg, at David Blumberg 22. Uh, a follow-up to the Entree app dessert analysis. We know Doug's affinity for booths and the Landis family tradition of walking out mid-visit. But otherwise, how does the, qua- <laughs> how does the quality of service weigh in your restaurant preferences? Is service overrated? Is the food all that really matters? Uh, yeah, for me, I don't get super hung up on service. Um I, I've certainly had bad service and, and it's noticeable, but I'm, I don't ever really make a scene of it. Um, I don't even really, I kind of just like tip the same thing across the board. Unless someone's like really good, then I'll give them something more. Um, but no, sir, I've never had service, poor service ruin a meal. It's always about the food for me. Would it surprise you to learn that I am obsessed with service? No, I knew that was going to be your answer, yeah. <laughs> I think that it you should potentially be um, arrested if you are a restaurant server who doesn't write down the order because you are <laughs> behaving as if you can remember it 
and then you get any part of it wrong. I have ruined meals by a server. Whenever the server comes and the server is not writing stuff down, I am on edge immediately because I'm kind of a picky eater and I'm always like taking things off. And so I'm getting a salad that has six things and three of the things I don't want. And then until the food arrives, I am obsessed with the idea that there's no way they got that right. Why didn't they write it down? It's why paper and pencils were invented. Write down the order. I'm not impressed with your recall that you can remember four things if you're trying to show off by not (laughs) writing it down. And so I almost will not – it ruins my experience if I'm on edge, even if they get it right – if they don't write it down, I'm on edge. But if they get it wrong after not writing it down, I sometimes give the server a lecture, uh, a lecture about the fall of American society um, as it's encapsulated in servers who don't write down food orders. So service matters to me far too much. I think I could have predicted you'd say all that verbatim. Yeah, I think the re- the listeners are not – necessarily surprised by that either yeah. all right that's for do you want to do a jim harbaugh question or do you want to get out of here uh i'll do a harbaugh question unless it's going to lead to like another 20 minutes of discussion yeah i mean everything we do leads to 20 <laughs> minutes of discussion what kind of tacos does jim harbaugh like no that's not the question this is at rjr1818 does the average fan outside of the midwest dislike harbaugh as much as big 10 fans do Question two, just as Michigan's most iconic coach didn't actually accomplish much, meaning Bo Schembechler, i.e. he won his only national championship while an assistant as Ohio State, are today's Michigan fans being conned by Harbaugh by being obsessed with his brand? My, my take is I don't think that outside the Big Ten, people at the moment are as obsessed with Harbaugh. They know him. But I think it is a, an Ohio State obsession, obviously, first, the Big Ten obsession, second. Um, but do you think Jim Harbaugh is conning people right now, Bill, or do you think he's actually building something at Michigan? I don't know if, if uh, it's, uh, he's in a weird spot. I, I, I think I still, I still believe he's building something, even though this most recent recruiting class is really strange. It's, it's not very good and doesn't really make sense unless he's trying to like prove that he's a good Italian evaluator and, and can find under the radar guys. I don't really know what he's doing with, with Michigan's 2018 recruiting class. Um, so, I, no, I don't think they're being conned. I think Jim Harbaugh's a good coach. Uh, I think he showed that he showed that everywhere else he's been, even in the NFL. I, I mean, his shtick wears thin, but that doesn't mean he's not a good coach. Um, and, and I think he, he has more staying power in Michigan, certainly, than he's had at any other place he's been because of who he is. So I'm not, I'm not quite ready to say that he's conning Michigan fans. I think they made the right decision when they hired him. I still think he's the right guy for the job. Um, next year with a – was it his 2016 recruiting class was really good. So next year with that class and that third year, Shea Patterson presumably is his quarterback. If not, then the quarterback that he recruited starting uh, for at, at, at the quarterback position um, is not – quite make or break I think but it's pretty close to it like I don't think he's gonna get fired next year but if he is if he is anything resembling what they were last year and they're not competing for the Big Ten East next year and and frankly I think you might have to beat Ohio State next year um then I'm leaning a little more towards Khan I do I do think and and I think we're at Cleveland.com partly guilty of it too he's been pumped up a lot 
Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's totally deserved. It's probably not totally deserved. Yeah, I think I, I, next year is so huge for them because you, you. I think if you're if you're rational, you can justify a lot of the first three years. The first year is your first year. The second year, they were a a, a spot against Ohio State away from being in the playoff, probably. So that was a really good year last year. Um, and they had that Ohio State game right there. They didn't get it done, but that was a really good year. And then this year was kind of a rebuild after losing so many veterans from the year before. But now next year, like you said, with the new quarterback, um, with a lot of other important guys back, with now you're your fourth year, you're, it's all your guys, it's your the way you wanted to shape a team, um, they got They need to be really good. They've had trouble against Ohio State, Michigan State. They need to win at least one of those games. They need to compete at the top of the Big Ten. They probably need to beat Penn State. Um, they they need to be a legit, I think, top ten team. Or again, he's not going to get fired. But like the question that we're answering right now is going to be asked a hundredfold. If a year from now, in year four, Michigan was eight and four again, so this is, I think, 2018 is the year Jim Harbaugh has to show that he is what people thought he might be. All right, Landis. So, how how much of a more of a drive do you have until you get back? So, uh, here's what happened. If I if I sounded at all out of sorts toward the latter end of the podcast, it's because. I had to, while doing the podcast, unplug my phone that I'm using for GPS and plug in the phone that I'm using for this podcast. And in that exchange, I dropped the phone that had the GPS. So I didn't know where I was going. And I started going toward Fort Worth, which is the opposite direction of where I want to go. And then I had to pull off and turn around. And then it got back on the highway. And then I'm pretty sure I missed the exit. I need to get on the head back toward Dallas. So now I'm sitting in a parking lot of a gas station. So uh, I still have an hour until I get back to the hotel. When uh, when the podcast started, I think I had less than that. <laughs> that is that is some professional podcasting, there, people. That is yeah. much how that is how much Bill Landis loves you, the listener. He's driving in circles in the middle of Texas to bring you fresh, hot Ohio State content. So, Landis, we'll let you get back on the road. Thanks for calling in, man. I'll see you in a little bit. All right. Sounds good. All right. See ya. All right. Thanks to you guys for listening. Um, this is the Wednesday podcast. We'll do one more on Thursday, uh, previewing the game even a little more intensely than we have the last two days. And then, again, we'll do one more on Saturday, wrapping up the Cotton Bowl, which takes place on Friday night. So you can read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Doug Maurice. Don't forget our guy, Tim Bielek. Make sure you follow him at Tim Bielek. Uh, we'll have our outrageous predictions up on Thursday. We'll have our game picks up on Friday. Um, and you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and everywhere else. It's the Buckeye Talk podcast. So for um, the wandering Bill Landis out in the plains of Texas, I am Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.